where I grew up on the, the far south coast of New South Wales, a little town called Tarthra. I, I've told some of you about this place. It's not, well, it's wonderful down there, uh, but it's not perfect. Uh, we had an older man living nearby, and he believed that the world's biggest problem, cats. Uh, cats. Uh, eradicate cats uh, was his thinking, and the world will be a better place. And look, I have some sort of appreciation for that idea. You are either a cat person or a dog person, are you not? Uh, Though, I can't say it was much help for the local community uh, when people's cats were mysteriously disappearing while he was around. Uh, No good at a local street level or at a global level, really. If you Google search what is wrong with the world, cats don't come up immediately. Uh, But there is a United Nations list. Food, missing food security and safety, food riots, world hunger, it's a big issue. Uh, Governance, I reckon uh, we're all aware that we have issues of governance across the globe. Health, human rights, and on and on and on that list goes. What is wrong with the world? I wonder how you would answer that question over a game of darts with your mates. And in a sense, it's really easy, isn't it, to point out all kinds of of different things and have an ever-growing list, the making for a very depressing game of darts. A little deeper, though, perhaps, and a more difficult question, why is the world the way that it is? We can point to many and various problems, but why? Why the problems? Why is it this way? I want a worldview that adequately answers why, and particularly, why am I the way that I am? As I recognise the problems, not just out there, but it's in here with me and with you, to be honest, as well. This afternoon, it's Genesis chapter 3, and we have the Bible's answer on this. And you notice, as the scene shifts to chapter 2, it shifts quite suddenly. The end of chapter 2, Adam and Eve are are both naked and feeling no shame. It's a, a picture of marital bliss, if you like. There were no secrets, nothing hidden, but complete trust, openness, and intimacy. In fact, At the end of chapter 2, everything that God has made by his powerful word was good. And we get to chapter 3. Up until chapter 3, all of the speech has been positive. God speaks creation into being. God names creation. God blesses the birds and fish, the man and the woman. He, He blesses the seventh day. He commands man and woman. He warns against disobedience. God confesses that man without woman isn't any good. And the only speech from humanity in those first two chapters, it's all positive, with Adam bursting into poetry when he sees his woman. But chapter 3, verse 1, there's a shift, a change. A serpent enters the scene. The text doesn't tell us who this serpent is, though the rest of the Bible does. And this serpent, we read, a crafty member of God's creation gets the woman's attention. And what happens is God's word is attacked. 
You notice this, it's really subtle at first. It's the interrogative question. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No. No, that's not actually what God said in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. God said they could eat from any tree in the garden except for one. And in verse 2 and 3, you notice the woman, she does correct the serpent. But it seems the doubts are already rising in her mind. Verse 2 and 3, we read, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, says the woman, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You just notice that while God's emphasis back in chapter 2 was on the positive, eat from any tree except for one, the serpent and the woman are focused on the negative, what you cannot do. And the woman even had something that the Lord didn't even say about touching the tree. Where has that come from? And notice that while in chapter 2, if your Bible's in front of you, God is referred to as the Lord God, the Lord God. Whenever you see Lord in capital letters, it's, it's Yahweh, the personal relational name of God, uh, the, the name the Lord used as he rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and revealed himself to them personally, relationally. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Well, that is used in chapter 2. As it will be later in chapter 3, the woman, she follows the serpent's lead and uses the more generic name for God, less relational, more distant. It's easier to disagree or even disobey when we're feeling disconnected, isn't it? Perhaps sensing the doubts rising in the woman's mind, the serpent attacks God's word straight on. First in verse 4, you see that denying God's truthfulness. You'll not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman. And second, verse 5, questioning God's goodness. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's going on here? Uh, the, The serpent wants the woman to think that God is mean. That's what it seems, to think that God does not have their best interests at heart. God doesn't want to share. God doesn't want them to be like him. But that's not a right understanding of the God of the Bible, is it? Didn't God already make them like him in the image of God, in his likeness, to share in his rule doesn't he create them give them a beautiful place to live food to eat and relationships to enjoy you see here it's not a case it's not whether humans have knowledge of good and evil itself but it's who decides between what is good and evil itself and as Kent Hughes uh, puts it In his commentary, the temptation to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was to seek wisdom without reference to the word of God. It was an act of moral autonomy, deciding what is right without reference to God's revealed 
will. The big question is, who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? God or us? And if it's us, we're choosing to be God. Functionally, to be boss, I'm in control. I'll do it my way, thank you very much, instead of trusting you. And this is the very definition of sin, isn't it? The serpent says God can't be trusted. Whose word is the, the woman going to trust? Whose word is the man going to trust? And it was just read to us what we know. After disobeying God, the man and the woman, they immediately gain knowledge. But you notice it's not what they are expecting. You see verse 7? We read, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. You always notice the references in the Bible to nudity, don't you? So you notice the last one back at the end of chapter 2. The last reference to nudity, chapter 2, and they, they were naked and they felt no shame, but here they do. And they cover up with fig leaves, verse 7. They hide from God, verse 8. Some of you shop at Aldi. Let's show of hands if you shop at Aldi. You see how fast those hands, hands down. You see how fast it's, Aldi's the place that sells everything that good, at, sells everything that is good at the right price. And, and there's that centre aisle, which is a, a great marketing thing, isn't it? But if you walk down the biscuit aisle, uh, you, you, uh, there's this great big chocolate biscuit, uh, and it's called, I think, a cartwheel. It's a rip-off, a rip-off of the, the wagon wheel. Uh, it's a good biscuit. Uh, we, we could talk a lot about Aldi, so, you know, afterwards. Um, this week, Jen found our two-year-old, Fred, with not one cartwheel, but two, hiding behind the lounge and eating them. He obviously knew he wasn't meant to be eating them. Uh, and when she came near, he threw both biscuits under the lounge and he said, all gone. All gone. Nothing to see here. Having failed to trust God's word, the man and the woman, they realise they cannot trust each other and they cannot be trusted by God either. Instead of that openness and, and intimacy, they hide and the barriers to relationship go up. But just as Jen exposed Fred's hidden secret, so God graciously pursues the man and the woman, to expose theirs. You see verse 8, I'll read. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, where are you? It's not that he doesn't know where they are. But the question from God is really, it's an invitation to relationship. A bit like a mum or a dad uh, who says to their kid, are you telling the truth? It's not that they don't know, but they want their child to admit what they've done 
that trust might be restored, that relationship might be healed. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if at this point Adam collapses on the ground and says, I'm sorry, Lord. I stood by and said nothing. It was as if I wasn't there, but I was. I was just being passive, doing nothing. And in the end, I just went along with, I just joined in, please forgive me. But in the woman, in the same world, he manages to blame God and the woman in the same sentence. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's not my fault. And verse 13, the woman, she blames the serpent. And as the old joke goes, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you chuckle. Don't you? Yeah. It's so easy to see things that way, though, isn't it? To blame everyone but ourselves. I'm not the problem. Yes, you are. I'm really thankful for Jen pulling me up sometimes when I say sorry when I'm not. Uh, I'll say something like, I'm sorry, but... And the but is me blaming someone else or the situation, even her. I'm sorry, but you. No. I'm responsible for my behaviour, no matter how those around me act, no matter how much sleep I get, no matter how stressed I am, no matter how old I am or young I happen to be, and it's the same with you. You made me do it? No. I found this really helpful from someone this week. Uh, if you don't admit you are the problem, if you don't admit you want to be God instead of God, what's wrong with the world will not change. You see that everything is upside down in Genesis chapter 3. Humanity is set to rule over creation. But Eve follows the snake. Adam follows Eve and no one follows God. The human failure to trust God's good word has devastating consequences. And we see the curses that, that, that follow. They all relate to some aspect of humanity being God's image bearers. So instead of humans ruling over the serpent, verse 15 says there will be enmity or hostility between them. For the woman, she'll be frustrated in her family relationships. Childbirth is now painful. Marriage is a battle to dominate the other. You see verse 16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. For the man, the ground is cursed. And so instead of work being a blessing, it's now hard and frustrating. But you see, the greatest consequence of sin here is death. Look at verse 22 and 23. We read, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. 
he must not be allowed to reach out his hand to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden. You observe here, death, it's not just described as separation from life, but also separation from place, the garden, and worst of all, separation from God himself. All because we've failed to trust God's word. Wanting to run the show ourselves. But what's the problem with the world? I am. And so are you. Why is the world the way that it is? Why am I the, the way that I am? We've failed to trust God's good word. Wanting to run the show ourselves. And Genesis chapter 3, it, it, it does subtly point to the solution, doesn't it? You see that in verse 15, when God said there'd be enmity between the humans and the serpent. He also said the woman's offspring will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will strike the offspring's heel. The solution to this big problem of sin will come from a man, but not just any man. And just like Adam and Eve, this man is tempted to grasp for power. But when he's tempted by the evil one, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this man, like Adam and Eve, is tempted in a garden to disobey God's will. But when he's tempted, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he says, My father, if possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And even though that man, the Lord Jesus Christ, passes the test, even though he does not sin, he's cursed and judged condemned and killed. He suffers death. And worst of all, worse than the, the nails and the, the ridicule, worst of all, he experiences separation from God and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus did all of that to fix what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with you and me? So that through his perfect life and his sacrificial death, we might be in him and not in Adam anymore. That we might be forgiven and adopted. That we might be given his righteousness. And so you can now be the man and woman of God God created you to be that we might worship him, that we might love our neighbour as ourself, that we might even love our enemies, that we might rule God's good world under him for his glory, that we might live by his every word. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a prolific desire to run my own life, to do it my way. 
And Genesis chapter 3 says, what a great problem that is. Even as a kid back in Tarthra, I knew that bloke, uh, cats aren't the problem. He was. But so am I. And I hope that you recognize that in yourself as well. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the story of life that you give us in Genesis. Thank you that you answer the difficult questions uh, of why the world is the way that it is, why we are the way that we are. And Lord, this afternoon we, are, we confess that we are, we are like Adam, that we want to rule our own lives, and for this we're sorry And we pray, Lord, that you would give us confidence, that you would help us trust your good word, that you would show yourself to be reliable, and we thank you that you have. And so we pray, Lord, that as we trust in Jesus, the one man who did obey your good word, as we're forgiven in him and adopted through his sacrificial death, we pray that we would be a people who get on with living for you, under you, for your glory. Uh, Please, Heavenly Father, shape and change and mould us according to your plan and use us as a church community to make you known to the watching world. And Lord, as we try and communicate the saving message of Jesus with our friends and family and our neighbours, we pray that you would give us a wisdom that we don't have, that you would give us a sensitivity to listen and care, to love and nurture. And we pray, Lord, that you would be softening hearts that many more people might come to faith and that you would see fit to be building your church in this region for your renown. And we pray all these things in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.